Hello, and welcome to The Scott Mize Show, a podcast focused on health, diet, bodybuilding, and philosophy. I interview experts, doctors, coaches, and N equals one case studies to answer your questions about improving health, achieving your best physique, and making sustainable progress. We'll cover topics from carnivore and ketogenic diets, to bodybuilding, to life philosophy, and everything in between. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by LMNT Electrolytes. This month, we're switching it up with an exclusive offer that's only for VIP LMNT partners, including Carnivore Cast listeners. You can now receive this free sample pack along with any regular purchase when you use my custom link, which is provided in the show notes or my Instagram link in bio. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash carnivorecast, all one word. And as I said, I'll include the link in the show notes. LMNT electrolytes are convenient, evidence-based, and delicious. And get yours today to help support the show. Thank you. This is a quick disclaimer before we start the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said here should be taken as medical advice. And please consult with your physician before making any changes to your diet, exercise regime, or medications. Thank you, and on to the show. Kurt Havens is a coach, scientist, and expert in endocrinology and uh, the study of pharmacology and anabolic steroids. He's a science-backed physique coach and the author of a very well-renowned and researched ebook on human growth hormone, and recently released a e-course on anabolics mastery with Big Paul. Welcome to the show, Kurt. Hey, thanks, Scott. It's great yeah, to be here. Followed you for a long time and huge fan of your work. I've learned a lot from you. Uh, gotten through a lot of cardio sessions and walks, <laughs> uh, listening to interviews and podcasts with you. So um, excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, I've, I've been into your channel for a while as well. It's always weird to now be on these things that you, you know, I, I watched previously and now I'm on them. Thanks. Kind yeah, a- um, I'd love to. So I'd love to start with kind of what got you out of bodybuilding, because I know um, you're you're getting closer to 50, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, you were, you competed for a while and then you took a step back and now you're back in it. So, so what kind of caused that? Um, I, in my thirties, I got a corporate job in the city. Like we were just talking about before filming. Uh, I, I was working in fashion for a while in okay. the city and I think just the workload, the hours, the commute, it all, I, I always lived outside of the city. So I always had, a, you know, an hour each way in and out. I was working long hours and That's a lot. I just stopped exercising. I didn't, you know, so I, I feel when I have clients that say this stuff, I'm very compassionate towards that. I, I, I totally get it. I didn't, there's nothing I ever saw coming, nothing I would ever have chosen to do. It just, one day I just stopped and yeah. it just stayed like that for, uh, almost nine years. Wow. So it was 39. And then, uh, when I got back in, it's actually, it's, I always find it easier to get back in shape once you've been in shape. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. The muscle definitely comes on faster. And then I decided I would compete again. I hadn't competed since the 1990s. Wow. And I did okay. And my wife was supportive of it. And she was like, why don't you keep going? And then it just became a kind of a thing where then I decided I would coach people. So I don't, I don't think I have the potential to ever be a pro or to be super successful in bodybuilding, but I really enjoy I enjoy the whole aspect of, you know, teaching this stuff and the science behind it. So that's kind of where yeah. I fit in now, I think in the world, that's at least yeah. the role I want to play. 
Yeah, yeah. I think you're providing a ton of value. And uh, who knows, you may be selling yourself you very know. short on yeah, your you competitive aspirations. <laughs> yeah, I will be competing again in August, most likely. Uh, cool. You and I both have worked with Paul. Yeah. And and are you doing uh, a men's physique again? Or you mentioned- No, it's uh, like the bodybuilding. Okay. Uh, so I did physique. I did classic as well. I'm I'm beyond what I can, the classic cutoff at this point. So I did a mini cut. I'm going, we'll go, we're going to the Arnold Classic. And then right from there, I'm going to Florida on vacation. So yes. I, I decided I would bring my composition a little better for the beach. And I'm- I was 203 the other day with striated glutes. So I'm 20 wow. pounds over my cutoff for classic. So there's just no wow. way I'm losing muscle. <laughs> yeah. That's going to happen. Not happening. Um, yeah. So probably light heavy. I'll go as an amateur and see where I land. Awesome. Cool. Um, and what made you start studying pharmacology and uh, what are you, what are you specifically focused on within pharmacology? I think I always liked science. I don't think I always liked math, which is mm. kind of odd. Like I like math when it applies to something, but I don't like math for math's sake. Okay. Um, and I grew up in a house with doctors. And I think that being around that stuff, when I was a kid, I used to go to the hospital with my dad, uh, hang out in the OR. I probably saw more surgeries before the age of, you know, before I was driving a car than wow. most doctors have seen. Um, and so I went to undergrad, I was pre-med and then the world of medicine changed in the 1990s with HMOs and insurance and mm. this stuff. And my dad recommended that I didn't continue to pursue medicine. So I got into fashion and that's how I ended up in the city. And then um, when I left the fashion industry, I realized that this was my passion all along. Sometimes it takes something like that to make you really realize it and went back to school and have just continued this. So I think also at the same time, I went on... I was a natural athlete for most of my life. I competed natural in the nineties. And I think when I went on TRT, I think it made me realize the benefits of that. Mm. And I realized that what we were taught in school wasn't accurate. And there was a serious lack of knowledge. And then when you would explore what was on the forums, it's on the internet, most of it was junk. Yeah. It was total conjecture, garbage. Um, and I decided that that's what I was going to pursue and I was going to become the world's expert at that at some point. So they were still working toward that. Very cool. That's yeah. Uh, interesting. Some parallels with, with my story. I, I was a competitive lightweight rower actually in high school and college um, for eight years and destroyed my health doing that <laughs> um, at the age of 22, you know, despite eating a good diet, working out, prioritizing sleep. My total testosterone was a hundred uh, nanograms per deciliter, uh, for, for years. Yep. And I had, um, extremely low bone density for my age. It, it, they actually can't technically call it osteoporosis when you're below a certain age. Um, it was three T scores below the mean on DEXA scans. Uh, and so I started TRT at 27. Um, yep. and yeah, was amazed by the taboos yeah, and stigmas and lack of evidence base around that. Um, and I learned a lot from Nelson Virgil and um, the Excel Mail for, forums. Okay, I've seen it. Um, yeah, great, great resource. Um, but yeah, and then kind of caught the bodybuilding bug a couple years ago. Um, so getting started a little bit later, but uh, still loving it. Yeah, I don't think it's ever too late though, right? Okay, yeah. I don't know. I think that it's kind of an ageist thing because it's you against you. And that's yeah. the coolest thing about bodybuilding is that it, it that 
it, you're not really competing against anyone else. You know, it's in the most pure sense. Yeah, it's well said. Um, one thing that I wanted to discuss with you that I think is really interesting is there are a few um, common evidence-based PEDs in bodybuilding that have gotten a lot of popularity, whether it's from uh, Mr. Black or someone else in the space. Um, and uh, you've spoken out from a place of evidence and data and studies against some of them, why, why some of them may not be as beneficial as people might think. Um, so I'd love to tick through some of those and kind of get your thoughts sure. on them. Yeah. Um, so the first is L-carnitine. Um, mm -hmm. I think this has exploded in popularity. Lots of people are using it. You know, they're saying, oh, you know, it's another pathway. You should maximize it. There's no downside. Um, but what, what do you see are the benefits or the lack thereof? The clinical benefits really boil down to cardiac stuff like in the mm. moment in an acute situation. Um, so I tend to speak from a place of research and not emotion. If I can avoid like just a full on opinion generally, yeah. I don't know if you've noticed that. So I, uh, where I think a lot of the other guys are, are speaking more as emotionally, um, L the L carnitine pathway is definitely a valid pathway, except it's very rarely a thing that people are deficient in, in the United States, you would be very well aware if you were deficient in, L-carnitine and you would be on L-carnitine for your whole life. Mm. It um, The easiest way I can explain it is it's not the rate limit in fat burning. So it's mm. like adding extra gas to your car when your tank's already full. Mm. Adding more will not necessarily allow more fat loss, right? Because it's really only taking it to the cell and then acetylcoenzyme A is what is going to allow that in. That's the rate limit and we can't really supplement with that. It's not a valid supplement. Right. So Makes it's not sense. doing any harm by any means. And not to say that it might not have some other benefits that I'm not aware of. It just seems what I always found interesting is that people will inject three cc's of this stuff daily yeah, without even understanding it. And yet they wouldn't do anything else to take care of their health, right? They're so concerned with this, but not just do cardio. Yeah. Eat it's better. painful. I don't know. That just seems silly to me that, that we've taken a supplement and we've now taught people to inject things because people are so needle phobic to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> you see in the TRT world, but yet they'll inject L-carnitin. And yeah that, great and again if you people want to use it by all means you can use it i just don't think it's going to do what you people think it's doing yeah absolutely that's, that's, that's kind of where point. i stand with it yeah yeah that's great um the next one mastron uh okay. very very um popular these oh, days <laughs> just to say you know oh let's just crank the mastron mastron it's it's safer than um other anabolics all anabolics grow tissue at the same rate um, you know, it'll help control estrogen, prevent you from needing to use an aromatase inhibitor. What are, what do you see, or what's your perspective based on the research on this? So I think there's a couple things. Um, I, some of that probably stems from the Victor Black method and I'm not bad mouthing mm -hmm. anyone. I don't yeah. really have an opinion about any of these people. Um, it, it stems from, there was a movement in medicine actually, where certain doctors in the hormone replacement therapy field were getting away from using an AI. Mm -hmm. As they realized that they were realizing that there was a benefit to having some level of estrogen in men, right? And I'm not denying that there definitely is. It's it's needed for life, just like testosterone, at a point. Um, and I think with that, then bodybuilding or the fitness world tends to be very extreme. We don't do anything in moderation ever, historically. And I think we we got wind of this 
And then people like Derek from More Plates, More Dates started running podcasts about this subject, about letting your estrogen go up. And I think at first it was very benign and it was very good advice, right? You use testosterone as a base. It's in polypharmacy. Its job is to supply estrogen. And then if you want anabolism, you would then stack on something that's more refined like primobolin to allow for tissue, you know, protein expression. And I, in theory on paper, that sounds great and all. I think part of the problem is we're also talking with people on TRT. So mm. adding other chemicals that are on FDA approved, first of all, doesn't always pan out as a logical thing. Yeah. Um, but beside that, for performance enhancing, that's 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 a fine technique. I think also at some level of advancement, uh, guys are going to push your testosterone level up regardless, right? It's yeah. it's a definite way to leverage growth. And I don't know of a single pro bodybuilder that's using less than a gram of test. So that theory sounds great on paper, but I don't know if that's really done in practice. Um, there is, again, with moderate use of an AI, and AI itself is not unsafe or necessarily unhealthy, crushing your estrogen sure is, right? And that's where yep. the cholesterol markers and stuff get skewed when we crush our estrogen. Using an AI in a controlled matter where you're doing labs and you have a doctor actually looking after you is totally safe in most situations. No drug is safe, 100% yeah, safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't want to make absolute statements about that. Um, I think that what then happened was it swung the other direction. And then people were realizing that some of the DHT derivatives could control estrogen to some extent, right? So, yeah. and Masteron tends to act as a serum. It's actually not going to lower serum estradiol in most humans. Um, at least on paper, it should not be doing that. Primobolin can, that depends on the person, your metabolism and uh, the dose used versus the testosterone dose. But uh, the Masteron thing, because it creates a drier look because of its interaction with aldosterone and the way it interacts with the estrogen receptor, it's going to create a drier look than primobolin, even though it's not lowering estrogen. So I mm. think it was a very aesthetic thing that guys realized instead of using an AI, I could add a little Masteron. And then of course, the guise of safety was always there, right? So guys will talk about, well, it's safer then, right? So the problem is perhaps it is, we can't really say if it is or not for sure, but then when you're using grams of it, is it? How how could that be true? That's what I don't understand. So if you're using yeah. two grams of Masteron, how could you say that's safer than two milligrams of Arimidex? When Arimidex has been studied in men, women, children, clinically for 40 years, and Masteron has not. So I don't, yeah. that total, that's fabricated. I And again, I have no problem with the use of Masteron for specific things, but I think to leverage it in a huge way because you're trying to avoid possible health risks of something else seems silly to me. Yeah. Right? But if that's a technique you want to use, then by all means, I know that there are yeah. pro bodybuilders that, that this is the technique they use. And, you know, I'm not going to judge anyone's, you know, choices in what they want to do. I think the problem with Masteron is when it was invented initially, it was invented with Anadrol, Superdrol, and Masteron, they came out together. Superdrol is basically just oral Masteron. And when you modify something on carbon-17 to make it oral, it tends to change the anabolic properties of it. So they tested all three of these drugs initially, and anadrol seemed to be the most efficient at red blood cell production. And so they were going to use that for anabolism. So that was here. And superdrol seemed to be slightly more toxic and not as efficient as anadrol. So they basically just shelved that one. That's why we didn't see that again for a long time. And this happens all the time. There's thousands of anabolic steroids that we have formulas for that just are never used either they're toxic mm. or they're just not quite as good as something else um right. literally thousands of these drugs and um masteron on the the initial studies really failed to show any muscle growth in the rats which again mm. you're talking about rats 
Yeah. And you're talking about in monotherapy. So the mm. study itself is flawed. No one would use Masteron alone to grow yeah. muscle. I'm a man. Yeah. So I can work. So yeah. in and of itself, the study's not accurate. But that being said, so it didn't it didn't really prove to be doing what it was supposed to be doing, where Anadrol on its own worked just fine. So they basically realized, though, in that initial research that Masteron seemed to prevent tissue growth potential cancer growth as well. So they then shifted the research to just do that. And they never really looked at it again in men. So hmm. problem is there's no real data there to support the use yeah. of it for what we are now using it for. Right. Yeah. I think the classic use, um, and this is something Paul and I talk about, I, I think Mastron is a fantastic drug for, for cutting, for pre-contest, for hardening, for, it brings it like a grainier, drier look in. It combines really well um, you know, with test propionate and, you know, trembolone acetate, it, it's, it's definitely a valid drug to be using in the off season. Uh, I've just personally never found it to be that efficient. It seems to make me feel flat and stringy mm. regardless of how much test you run with it. And I never really yeah. feel that great when you bring the dose up, but, but that's yeah. me. You know, I know Paul, um, has said similar stuff. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there are just from the anecdotal evidence. It doesn't seem like there are big pro bodybuilders, growing in the off season on Masteron and test alone. Yeah, there, there are some that, I, so I speak to, I do consultation calls all the time with some of these guys and there are some that are using it now. But yeah. again, if you look at a, a couple of things that you're not seeing, you're not seeing what else they're using in addition, the amount of testosterone, yeah. using, the amount of growth hormone, they tend to using, you know, between 10 and 30 units of growth hormone with it. Wow. Um, yeah. Insulin they're eating tons of food and they're using three grams of test. So yeah. it's, it's kind of offset by other things. And also what the question I think to ask yourself with any of these guys is what got them there, not what they're doing now. Yes. Right? And the same as you and I, like you and I are not new being in the gym. So like if, if I'm a brand new person in the gym and I see you lifting and you look fantastic, like you're in prep for your first show, you're ripped up, you have veins everywhere. If I come up to you and I say, what do you do? Why does it matter what you're doing now? It matters yeah. what you did to get to where you are. And that's the same, yeah. whether it's you or you're a 290 pound bodybuilder, it doesn't matter what they do now so much Yeah, right? because you have to get there first. So yeah. I could show up to a Pilates class. It doesn't mean Pilates is what, got me. <laughs> what a lot of these guys did to get there. And if you get to know them, they'll be honest with you. They've done grams and grams of, of other things to get to that yeah. side. They're just refining their tech, their yeah. physique at this point. That's not what they're using to grow. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think we we read a lot of people read things at the surface level and don't really think about what actually went on behind the scenes to get yeah, them there. Absolutely. But I, again, I honestly I have nothing wrong with Masteron, and nor do I think that it can't grow tissue. Yeah. There's just no data to show that it does per se, but that doesn't mean it doesn't. So I'm not yeah. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying no one can tell you for sure that it does. Yeah, and people are get, going a little too gung ho with it with little yeah, evidence. But I mean, if if that's your thing and that's what you want to use, by all means, then yeah. Run master onto your blue in the face. <laughs> Another one I've found interesting and I never really understood was Proviron. Uh, a lot of people swear by it in the bodybuilding lore. They're saying it gets you a different look. Um, but if you're running any amount of anabolics, especially some DHTs, it seems like your SHBG is going to be cratered anyway. I mean, mine is mine's yeah. like a four. Yeah. Um, what's the point in running a drug that only lowers it more? No. So it's, you're not incorrect. I think used as monotherapy for its original purpose, right? When it was a problem with sperm production, that has potential. Again, there's data that's conflicting there too, but used in a stack, 
first of all, people get very distracted with sex hormone binding globulin. As you're probably seeing what happens when you plummet your sex hormone binding globulin, not only do you free up testosterone, but you excrete more testosterone. So you have to continually take more, right? Because your hormones are constantly getting cleaned out at that point. So mm -hmm. you don't want to bottom it out and taking any DHG drug like Winstrol will plummet it. So using it purely for sex hormone binding globulin seems like a silly use for any drug to me. Yeah. That's not the people don't use Winstrol for that purpose. Um, it is basically pure DHT that has a methyl group at, one, at carbon one, basically, so it can pass through without being fully broken down. But once it's metabolized, it's acting just as pure DHT. So it's really not acting on tissue to cause any sort of growth. Um, it's broken down by 3-HSD inside the muscle cell. So it really can't grow any tissue. That is one story that I would say most likely is not growing anything. Mm -hmm. The only purpose that I see used in polypharmacy with Mastron, with um, Viron would be if you were running a stack that had very little androgenic potential. Like if you were a guy that ran mostly nandrolone, like if you were running mm -hmm. really high DECA and very low test for some reason, like if that's your thing, again, I'm not judging anyone's cycle. If, if that's, yeah. if that's the angle that you're trying to take, but you needed a little more DHT for sex drive or for mood or for the sense of well being that you can get from it, then by all means, you could add something like Proviron in to allow for that DHT. Yeah. But I think used, like you said, like if you're using, again, this is not a suggestion. I'm just listing things. If you yeah, were sure. cutting for a show, because it's usually used when cutting. Yeah. I would say, and guys, I do, I do know of guys that will run it all year round with their cycles. That seems like a waste of money. It's kind of expensive. It seems like kind of mm -hmm. a silly thing to be using all the time. Yeah. Just because it's not toxic doesn't mean it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, but if you're, if you were cutting for a show and you're using, let's say just test propanate and Mastron propanate and Trenacetate and Winstrol or Anavar or both, and possibly Halotestin to throw Proviron on top of that, I'm not sure what you're actually getting out of that outside yeah. of emptying your wallet. That's, yeah. that's kind of where I stand with it. I, I have no problem with the drug and I, it's, it's clearly has some level of clinical value. It's been on the market as long as testosterone since like 1936. Wow. Thing or 37 it's been around for a long time and Crazy. Bayer's made it forever yeah um, but for, for you and I I don't really know yeah yeah interesting um another one you you talked about extensively with uh Dr. Dean St. Mart and if folks haven't listened to that it's on your channel um Atomic Life fantastic uh podcast you have going with him um but clenbuterol um, I got a little bit lost in your discussion, so maybe you can he, help clarify. So he's kind of leading the world with that stuff. That I was that's why we originally had that discussion because we were having a, a conversation offline on Instagram. I posted something uh about ketophen uh beta receptors for well. So back in the day, if you would run Clem, the common thing was at week two, you you would add in something like ketophen or Benadryl to basically re-up. So it, it, an H1 agonist like Benadryl will cause the beta receptor basically to translocate back to the cell surface. So you, you keep them active. Yep. What he discovered in his research that, that I was not aware of, and again, we don't look at this stuff anymore because we don't use, Clembuterol has no clinical application in the United States at all, yep. um, is basically all it's doing is re-upping the beta-2 receptors versus the beta-3 receptors. So beta-2 receptors are more the jittery feeling that you get from stimulants, mm -hmm. like from ephedrine, mm -hmm. uh, the energy, uh, the appetite suppression, the heart racing. But that's not actually what's causing fat loss per se. That does contribute to some calorie burn through 
like neat, like not yeah. exercise activated thermogenesis, like fidgeting and things is generally more beta two. And that's fine that those downregulate, that's normal. And you actually don't really need that to contribute to fat loss in the whole scheme of things. Clenbuterol specifically is working on beta three and beta three receptors don't downregulate outside of obesity. Hmm. So there is some random stuff. So that's in the video, we probably talk about that. So I have some clinical experience with obesity where we've seen beta three receptors downregulate, which is really odd. We're not sure why that occurs. And that could be something that keeps people in that state continually that's hard to get out of because they basically yeah. are not burning fat like you and I. Um, but he was saying in a normal, healthy person, they found that it doesn't. And so you could technically use clenbuterol for long, long, long periods of time. And the toxic dose is much higher than we previously thought. So that's kind of where we were going with that. I don't know if that helps. Interesting. Yeah, but yeah, that's really so helpful. I was wrong in, in keeping the receptors reactivated because it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fascinating. I know that there used to be a practice of like cycling it. Yeah, yeah. and you don't need to. So using it that, you know, with the two weeks on, two weeks off or every other day, yeah. it's kind of pointless because you actually yeah. don't, because those days you're not using it, you're not burning, your metabolism is not elevated then. So it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Another one you've spoken about and obviously has clinical application for, for high blood pressure um, is telmasartan. And uh, one thing I, I actually see the blood pressure lowering effects of telmasartan as like happy side effects. Mm -hmm. One of the primary reasons I take it is, and, and I don't know if this is completely unfounded, you can tell me, um, but for cardiac remodeling, um, I had a echocardiogram about three years ago um, and then a follow-up one a year ago and my ejection fraction improved greatly. Um, and I had some bi biventricular hypertrophy, maybe caused by the rowing, I don't know, uh, but that went away. Um, and overall it just improved across the board. Well, I gained like 20 to 30 pounds, uh, of tissue theoretically. Um, and I, I attribute some of that, um, progress on the echo to telmasartan, um, possibly, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear, um, your thoughts on telmasartan and, and how widely it's being used in body. I, I mean, I think it definitely is use of what you're using for what you're seeing. That's all valid. And I have no problem with that drug being used where the place that I was coming from was it's being used prophylactically now by bodybuilders to manage estrogen and water retention, which is the mm. wrong use for the drug. And that's yeah. all I was saying is I just, okay. and again, I, Interesting. I don't want to bad mouth. I think it's came from Victor black again. Yeah. Um, I, but I'm not sure. I don't, I don't follow his, his method or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I believe it, that's where it came from. And again, it, it's, it's not to say that there's anything wrong with using the drug and it definitely has use as you've seen it's if your blood pressure is not elevated though, or you don't have those issues, why would you take that drug prophylactically? Yeah. That's just not the way things are treated, not in modern medicine. We don't just throw drugs at things that aren't there. Yeah. And that was my thing is if you have an estrogen or a water retention issue, that's not the drug to use for that. That's, that yeah. was my point in that is I get, Makes I have calls often with guys that have serious water retention or serious estrogenic side effects. And when you look at their labs or estrogens at 200, you know, or, or wow. very, very high. I had a guy the other day who was twice the limit. Wow. Um, and this is super common now. I see this yeah. every day because everyone's now afraid to use an AI. So now they're trying to use all these other drugs to kind of control it, but it's not controlling yeah. the issue. It's just masking side effects. Yeah. When the answer that, that, right that was my issue is like, <laughs> let's focus back on what's wrong and fixing the problem. Yeah. Whether it's using an AI or using less testosterone or something else, losing body fat. Yeah. Dosing. Uh, how frequently you inject. There's all sorts of techniques you can use. Yeah. Just, but I don't think using blood pressure medicine is the answer there. 
Yeah, yeah, makes a ton of sense. Another one that kind of goes along with that, the L-carnitine, the Telmasartan, I think you know what I'm going to say next, is metformin. Um, seems like it's something that a ton of bodybuilders are just saying, everyone should be taking this for bodybuilding year year round. Um, what do you think? Again, I probably, like unless you have a problem with diabetes or blood sugar management, it's not something that I would use year round and it's going to mess yeah. with IGF. Yeah. It's again... Maybe it's about eating less. Maybe it's about losing some body fat. Maybe it's about something else. Maybe it's, you know, as hard as it sounds, maybe bodybuilding is not the sport for everyone. If you react so harshly to these two anabolic steroids or whatever else you're doing, where are you going to go with something like bodybuilding? Yeah. Like it's not, we only focus on the 10 guys on the Olympia stage. We don't see the other thousands that didn't quite make it because they had health issues. It's a great, it doesn't mean they didn't have good genetics for other parts of bodybuilding. But if you, if your health falls apart, when you do these things, perhaps that's not the right road to go down. I like someone like me who my A1C and my glucose runs low metformin could kill me. I, the, me just listening to a coach and taking a drug like that or using insulin would put me in the hospital. So yeah. I just, I, I just worry about the overall health and the future of bodybuilding where it's headed is that we all just, no one sees a doctor anymore. No one gets labs. We all just self-medicate and we all listen to people who aren't doctors yeah. Right. And I think that that's you and I and Paul, all these guys, Victor Black, we all have a role in this community to be responsible. People listen yeah, to yeah. us and look up to us. And I think it's important that we, if we don't know the answer to something, it's okay to say you don't know. Yeah. I think it's okay to not give advice if you're unsure of something. Right. I would always default to someone who is a specialist in an area that I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're doing a fantastic job with that, by the way, trying to dispel some of the, the myths and common uh, pitfalls people are running into. Um, are there others PEDs that you think are common quote evidence-based uh, that you, you want to pick at lower on the subject? In a bad way or a good way? Um, either, either. Um, I, I think the trends are really funny to follow. So I see, I, more so now, I guess, because I talked to so many people, it's just so interesting that now Prima Ballin is like the most popular thing in the world. Like you see much more of that than anything else. Yeah. Um, it's always testing Primo now. And even yeah. five years ago, Primo was like a rare, obscure thing that no one used, right? It was like a girl steroid and no one cared about it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a valid thing because I think it's a fantastic drug when used correctly. It's kind of nice to see that at least in that aspect, people are starting to worry more about their health. Mm-hmm. And not using things that are necessarily so harsh, right? I think trembolone and things like that were were used in much more frequently in the past. Whereas now, there's nothing wrong with using trembolone, I think, but it's very specific. It's for like an acute, like as you enter show prep or, or for a very specific thing to be used that shouldn't be used all year round. Yeah. Um, no, but I, you know, I, but I, but I think with that, I think also people then get very extreme with their opinions about things. You know, EQ is toxic and trend is toxic, and they're not even based on necessary the data right people are taking tidbits of information out of studies or that they've heard on a forum and they're blowing these things out of proportion yeah um yeah. i think yeah. most of those steroids that are commonly used have a place in the world and can be used responsibly depending on the person yeah right like i don't think i you know for instance i have a client who he's a very low aromatizer and test and primo does not work for him it crushes his estrogen yeah like that's not that always a one size fits all you know it's it's sometimes we use other things because you have to use other things. Yeah. I found for myself, my test needs to be very high for me not to have cratered estrogen with yeah. Primo. Which is totally fine, right? It just again shows yeah. you that 
if you fit the Derek Moore plates, more dates model, you know, you tried to fit yourself into that where you ran, you know, 150 test and 400 primo, you'd be a mess. Yeah. And I've so, tried that. <laughs> it, was, it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work yeah. for me either. So yeah, I'm the same yeah. way. I think guys that are naturally leaner can, can push testosterone and aromatizing things up a little bit higher. Yeah, absolutely. Um, shifting over to supplements um, that you think may be overrated or overused in bodybuilding. Um, the first one I wanted to talk about was sodium or at least excessive sodium. Obviously we need some sodium, um, but people going crazy with the sodium. Uh, can you talk about why you think this may be a problem? Well, it's funny. Cause that's like a really recent thing that I've kind yeah. of like, it's, it's always been a thing that I've had a concern with, but I've only recently started talking about it. Yeah. I look at it kind of like how carnitin, like it's not necessarily doing any harm, but it's not necessarily giving anyone any benefits either in the way that yeah. they think, right? So if you look at morphology, the way the humans developed our sodium potassium ratio was 16 to one potassium to salt wow. based on what we ate. And it makes sense. Like we weren't getting salt you would get from things like the blood of animals. Yeah, it's rare. It's not, there's not a ton of salt. And it's not to say that salt doesn't play a role in things. It clearly does. You need it. You die without it. And it's not to say that it doesn't aid in the transport of things, but I think where we get lost again is that people, a lot of the people pushing the message probably haven't had any formal education in the thing and haven't actually looked at the sodium potassium pump because that's not actually what's occurring. Sodium is being pushed out of the cell with energy created and potassium is being pulled inside. So it's kind of the backwards method that's actually occurring and not so much the salt is driving things in per se. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. When you do things like clenbuterol, it actually flips the sodium potassium pump and that's one of the things that causes the cramping from it. Hmm. Um, Interesting. But that's a whole nother, that's, that's with all, you know, beta agonists. Um, it's, it's more concerning to me that people would drive down. They'll, they'll, they'll drive the potassium down and they'll increase the salt, right? You have guys that are consuming grand, 10 grams, 15 grams of sodium thinking it's going to do something. And you actually see in blood work, you can see it super elevated. You can see some kidney stress from these things. And I've, I must, I must look at thousands of labs. Very rarely do I see anyone that's sodium deficient in the United States. Yeah. or in any civilized country. It's just something you generally don't see. Um, I think there's a purpose for everything. I think it's okay to use salt in moderation. I'm not, it, 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 the days of worrying about it causing heart disease and stuff are, are long gone, but I, it yeah. just using solely as a supplement outside of endurance athletes that are sweating profusely. Sure. I, I don't think for bodybuilding, it has a ton of application there. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. You know, it's more, and, and that's another one that Dr. Dean and I did, um, we did one on that with potassium too. So if you're someone who wakes up in the middle of the night to urinate, most likely your potassium is too low. So mm. when you actually increase your potassium, a lot of that goes away. Interesting. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, we I... tend to eat a lot of salt and we stand up all day. So the fluid runs down. Yeah. Lay down about two hours after you go to bed, the water moves up to your center mass and right. your body senses this and it starts to stimulate urine production. So you notice yeah. you start to pee about two hours after you fall asleep. Yeah. It's from it used to be me all the time. Yeah. yeah. So just something to keep in mind. I think if people are struggling with that, it's not more salt that's needed. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually better to use uh, something like light salt where you can totally. get, and get labs. Like I think the yeah. moral of the story for all these things is if you see a competent doctor and you get labs, or if you live in a state, New York is similar to New Jersey, I would guess where you got, you need a doctor writing you for labs, right? So do I. So, you know, fortunately for me, I'm around doctors all the time. That's easy. If, if you don't, you can always find an online doctor and get labs. I, I would gladly look at someone's labs if they send me their labs. Um, 
there's tons of people that you could have look at labs if you're unsure. But I think rather than start to supplement with things just blindly, you know, it's worth yeah know, checking out what your body's actually Check your doing. Levels. Um, another one you've talked about that you're not a huge fan of is Yohimbean, um, which is incredibly popular, especially in contest prep. Um, can you talk about what some of the downsides may be or why it may not be as I just I don't love the blood pressure effects and the and the the, the I get nauseous from it. I don't think there's mm -hmm. anything wrong with the drug per se. If if it's something that okay. works for you, like if you're taking on contest prep and it's allowing you to get leaner, by all means use it. Yeah. Every time I've taken it, my blood pressure does weird things okay. and I feel ill from it. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's just the way my body deals with it. Yeah. Uh it's basically just blocking fat absorption absorption but the fat entering the cell it's basically stopping you know it's doing the opposite of clenbuterol clenbuterols allowing your body to burn fat this is basically Liberty. stopping fat from getting stored so um it's not necessarily needed but it's a tool in the drawer like anything else if you can use yeah. it you know i don't have any problem with it per se i just personally can't use it yeah yeah i i found the same causes a lot of nausea for yeah. me which so it's a like, certain point is somewhat feel. helpful but <laughs> it is on prep and up like i'll i tend to use ephedrine more than clenbuterol for the okay. expression. I find that more useful for me yeah. when I'm dieting versus clen. I don't really have a ton of trouble getting lean. Yeah. It's when you get really deep into a diet and your brain starts playing tricks on you with smelling food and hearing food. Yeah. Because I have smaller children, you know, they're always eating something that bodybuilders can't eat to begin with. And then when you're on prep, yeah. it's even worse when they're eating, yeah. pizza, you know, and candy and stuff. Yeah. In your face and you're starving to death. It's trying. Um, any appetite suppression for me is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. For me, nicotine is my go-to. Um, okay. Other other stimulants will wreck my sleep. I've struggled with insomnia for a long time. Okay. So that's that's the thing that works for me. You know, for me, uh, again, Dr. Dean and I did another one on magnesium. That made a huge difference in my sleep as well. I wasn't taking anywhere near the amount that I needed. Yeah. Um, and I had to split up the dosing and start with the morning and take you know, four or 500 milligrams several times a day in order to get yeah. the dosing correct. But when I took it out of the bolus before night, it made my stomach upset. Yeah. That's yeah, what I started. Back. I recently increased it to like 900 to a thousand milligrams. And I feel like you'll get to a place where all of a sudden it now will it fully improve your sleep. Yeah. But if it makes it, I'm someone who's struggled with sleep as well. So if it gets yeah. 80% better, I mean, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, no, I, I'm on medication for sleep. I'm on trazodone okay. and that okay. that helps tremendously. Yeah. But yeah. But I, for people that can't do that or can't afford drugs yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, shifting topics a bit, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about rebounds. Um, and this is something that's really interesting because it, there really seems to be a split. Um, I, I mean, I think a lot of these people, when you get them together on a podcast, they agree on 99% of things. Um, but there is, there are kind of two approaches in bodybuilding. There's one, um, which is kind of Justin Harris and, and Paul have talked mm -hmm. about it too, is you're going to gain a ton of weight, um, in the post-show rebound period. So you might as well do it as long as your blood works good. You're not too tired. You're healthy with a moderate amount of anabolics in, um, and, and you can get a lot of productive growth. Some people say you can grow 70 to 80% of the muscle you're going to get in an off season in that post-show six to eight week period. Um, and then there's others. Uh, I was actually talking to Chris Tuttle this morning um, mm -hmm. and his approach, Austin Stout, John Jewett, I know as well. They're saying basically the post-show phase should be used to recover, not grow um, because your body isn't really prepared from a health standpoint to grow muscle 
um, especially if your blood work is bad. Um, but even when people see a lot of this weight increase post-show and they're still lean, they think they're gaining a lot of muscle, but they're really gaining intracellular water. And it looks good because they're so lean. Um, and they think it's better to get healthy, get rested, get more body fat on, and then start your off-season push. So I'm curious what what kind of you you think of those and what you've arrived at based on your research and, and your your experience working with clients too. I the the science tends to lead more toward what John Jewett and Chris Tuttle are doing. Yeah. Paul's gonna get upset with me for saying that. <laughs> um, a lot of that, like you said, is that is intercellular fluid water glycogen. Um a lot of it probably depends on the situation too. If a guy is sure let's say if they're assuming that their blood markers aren't total trash, they're not really unhealthy and they come out. It typically makes sense to stay on some level of anabolics for a little bit after. So you're actually recovering muscle wise properly, because if you, if you went right from, a, in, in my opinion, if we went right from a, a really hard cycle to TRT or whatever, or if you're the guy that comes off to do that immediately, seems like your composition is going to go to garbage yeah. really fast. And mentally, I think it's probably very tough to go from being, as you see, you start to kind of enjoy getting really lean and you're yeah. changing every day to go from that to all of a sudden really quickly going the other direction. I think lays, wreaks a lot of havoc on the brain. You see yeah, that in female sure competitors, is. female competitors really struggle with that. Yeah. Um, the science more backs up that though, that most of the weight gain typically is not going to be muscle tissue. Like the body's yeah. very efficient at putting on fat when it's the the only benefit is you in theory should be sensitive to insulin unless you've done damage there mm -hmm. um coming out of that thing and if it's done in moderation i'm not someone i don't believe in big bulks and cuts i think that yeah. most guys should stay within 10 to 15 pounds of striking distance of their show weight or if you're not a guy who competes you should probably stay lean enough that you have abs all year round there's no real reason to lose that you know yeah. and i'm sure you're you seem like someone who stays pretty lean all the time you know yeah that out. Yeah, I mean, it's it, still surprising how much came off. Um, we, we all have much more than we think. A right? lot of it water, of course. Totally. But I mean, um, we all like have that. Like, yeah, I guess for this mini cut, I lost twenty five pounds or something. Like yeah. way more than I thought I even was carrying this fat. Yeah, wild. Yeah. Like I didn't think I had an extra twenty five pounds of fat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, even in the pre prep phase, before I even started dieting, just going down to like maintenance calories, I think I pulled off a good. 10 to 15 pounds, wow, right? Just inflammation yeah, yeah. and all sorts of exactly. stuff coming out. Um, so now, I mean, I think yeah, a lot of it's situational. I think in practice, I probably would float between their two methods, depending on the person yeah. and the situation. Yeah. Clearly if someone's metrics are way screwed up and they've really beat their health up or they've done multiple shows in a row, recovery is going to take precedence over growing muscle. You have yeah. all year to grow muscle. Your off season should be twice as long as your cut. Anyway, guys short, short themselves on that all the time. Yeah. You're going to make the most progress in your off season. Yeah. Um, and health, I, in my opinion, health comes first over look. Um, yeah. but yeah, the science doesn't really back that up. And a lot of times what you see is in some of these guys, the crazy rebounds that you see a lot of times they were using things like thyroid, like T3 and things that were really speeding things up when they stop doing that, they'll gain weight really fast. Um, it's not to say, I, I, I don't know if I would go on a limb and say that you gain 70 to 80% of your muscle in the first couple of weeks. I don't think that's yeah. possible. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think that's a really balanced and, and uh, honest answer. Um, growth hormone. What made you decide to write this book on <laughs> growth hormone? Um, and I guess how how at a high level 
does growth hormone work in aiding muscle building and in fat loss? Okay. Um, it's a really interesting question. So I was kind of at, I was kind of at a really weird place in my life. I was kind of questioning what I was doing with my education okay, and my coaching. And I was, I had a part-time job that I was working at while I wasn't coaching and I was left alone. It was basically, I was alone for 40 hours a week, right? Nothing but time to go on a computer and write things and research. So I was doing school work anyway, in this time yeah. I was getting paid to be alone. Um, and I was watching a lot of podcasts, yours and figure Steve and Paul and all these guys. And I reached out to Paul and we did an initial I, I promise this will go back to growth hormone in a second. This is, yeah, no, you're good. Uh, I reached out to Paul about coaching and we talked a little bit and he said, we should film a video about Trembolone. Hmm. And so based on what I've been working on at school and we filmed this video, this video never actually aired. This was the first video we ever made. And he, he stared at me the entire time we filmed and at the end. He said, dude, you have to make yourself public. So at the time, <laughs> my profile was private on Instagram. I'd always done this stuff in the back of my wife has always told me to, to do something more public. I just didn't know what. I'm not someone who, I don't chase fame or notoriety. It's not something that I really care about. Yeah. And I was like, well, what would I do? And Paul said, make science cool. That was all he said to me. And those words <laughs> will stick with me for the rest of my life. And I went home and I said that to my wife. And she said, see, I told you. And so... I, I hired Paul's coach. And one of the first things we discussed was growth hormone. Now I've been around it forever, literally forever. Like I probably yeah. have seen it in more ways used and more research on it probably than most people in the world, but I never thought much about it. To me, it was not something that really had a lot of value to me. Mm -hmm. um, and he was like, no, I'm trying to think of the appropriate way to say this he basically convinced me of the value in it. Yep. So I used it and it was dramatic. And so I realized it was another one that were taught the wrong stuff about it. And there wasn't really any great resources on it. So I sat down and I wrote the book in two weeks straight. Wow. 80 hours. I brought two computers to work and my phone and I had studies open on my phone and on one computer and I was typing on another computer and I was, and I literally just barreled through it. And then my wife is a web designer. So she formatted it in that form and we just got it online. So I, I had it up and done in like three total weeks. Um, so my inspiration was Paul basically by introducing me to this thing firsthand where I, yeah. you know, sometimes you, things can be right in front of you. You don't realize the value in them. Um, so that was kind of, that was kind of the story behind that book. So I'm writing That's an analogs one too. It's just kind of taking a backseat to our courses at the moment. But uh, yeah. another one I just found like a lot of the ones that were out there are just kind of missing some of the stuff that we want to know, right? right? Like some of the questions you asked, I'm like, this stuff's not written anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And like I've seen so many cool things with these drugs in clinical settings or in research and stuff. So it's like, I might as well share this stuff because it has such value. Now I didn't realize that this had any value publicly at all until very recently. So yeah, tremendous. I mean, the reception I'm sure has been fantastic. It's 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 been wild, to say the least. 
And and at a high level, um, oh, how does growth hormone work? Yeah, how does it work in yeah. muscle building so, and fat loss? And I start I start my book by basically saying that growth hormone doesn't build muscle. <laughs> it doesn't on its own. It's not really building muscle. It, it builds yeah. collagen and connective tissue and things like that. Uh, it's doing most of its action through IGF one. So when you whether you secrete growth hormone naturally or you inject growth hormone exogenously, you. Uh, your liver in response, assuming the other situations are correct, will secrete IGF-1. In an adult, in a in a in a baby in utero, it will secrete IGF-2, but that's a whole other situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it really needs present is estrogen at some level. Again, having it super elevated is not advantageous. You need some level of estrogen present, and you need glucose present. Okay. So if those two things are present, because IGF basically is going to allow tissue to be built. And we don't tend to build tissue in a situation where there's no food, right? So your body's very wise. And when we were cavemen, you weren't going to get more muscular if there was nothing to eat. Yeah. And it looks at glucose like it's a treat. So when there was enough extra food, because that's basically considered extra, it it would then respond by producing more IGF. And IGF Mm. will basically act on muscle cells through a different receptor than the androgen receptor. It has its own receptor. It will, growth hormone also acts on fat cells to release, basically blocks the uptake of glucose. This is why you see blood sugar go up when people use growth hormone. Yeah. So glucose will no longer get absorbed. It'll allow the free fatty acids to be removed from the cells to be burned. Um, Liberated, yep. And um, IGF also will have a role in fat burning, but not directly. There's no IGF receptor on fat cells per se, but it will act in a similar manner to like yohimbine where it will bind to the insulin receptor because there's such close molecules that will bind to the insulin receptor and basically block insulin mediated uptake of Mm. nutrients into the fat cells. So that's why growth hormone from a pure fat loss point of view for a guy around our size is the doses I capped at like 1.7, like 1.7 units. It's very low. And after that, there's technically no fat loss occurring, but at least from growth hormone. But what you see is if you take more, if you took five units or six units or 18 units, your fat loss continues. Yeah. There might be some more water retention, but you get leaner and leaner. leaner. Yeah. That's the IGF actually acting indirectly as well. Ah, okay. So they're both playing a role, but IGF is probably more important. Yeah. But I would say for most people, it'd be wiser to use growth hormone than use IGF directly. Yeah. You're going to get like kind of a whole broad yeah. Yeah. range of functions instead of one specific thing. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And real and- IGF is hard to come by. Yeah, absolutely. And um, given like how cheap, obviously someone shouldn't be injecting themselves with anything if they're cheap and and their primary uh, thing they're thinking about is cost. Um, But given like the overall cost benefit of growth hormone um, versus using more anabolics, um, how much can GH actually help in building muscle um, on average? Obviously it's very individual. Um, yeah, I, yeah. There's, with, with anything, there's genetic variability, right? Yeah, like yeah. I might respond totally differently to some things where you might respond the same. You also have non-responders yeah. and you have super responders. Yeah. I think for the average person, it's going to work synergistically with steroids. Typically, as long as you have some level of testosterone in there or nandrolone or something that's truly causing tissue growth. Um, I find, and I found with clients that it it will magnify the gear that's being used without you raising the gear so high. So I think the common pitfall, I fell into this for a period of time as well, is you'll raise the gear to get more growth. 
anyway, is the food, but the problem is the side effects start to get bad. Yeah. Right. Like how much gear can you truly tolerate? Yeah. And it's, I found for me, two grams is like really the sweet spot to grow. I don't need more. I've used more, but I wasn't necessarily growing more. When I used more, I was just experiencing side effects. Right. And a lot of guys will also judge progress based on sides, right? Water retention, mm -hmm. not sleeping, aggression, all these other things. They, well, it must be working because I feel horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you, if you were to use a more modern amount of gear and a modern amount of GH together correctly, assuming that the other things in your life, your sleep and your food and, you know, your training are ideal, I think you would just get much further. Yeah. I think that one caveat though is age too. I Over 30 or 35, I would say it would be like a wiser place to do that. If you're in yeah. your 20s, most likely you don't need that. Yeah, you already have. Unless you are really headed. If your trajectory is you're going to the Olympia stage or you're going to be a pro and you you will know if you're going to be a pro bodybuilder. That's another one to get all the yeah. time is how do you have those genetics? You would know because everyone that you run into at the gym would tell you that you had those. Yeah. Topics. Yeah. No mistaking. You don't look in the mirror and be like, I wonder you would know. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Leon Pearson knew since he was a little kid that he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think in an adult that can afford a doctor and get labs and just is responsible and has some level of income, I think it would be a wiser choice to, to have some combination of the two. Yeah. Depending on what your goals are. I think yeah. for guys like us that, you know, we're not kids anymore. It does give you another level of leanness. That's easier to maintain year round yep. Yep. Um, without having to diet so hard all the time. Yeah. Helps with sleep too. Helps yeah. with recovery. Yeah, definitely. General it, life things outside of. Yeah. And it, um, <laughs> your skin, your fingernails. Um, helps manage cortisol too, right? Yeah. And yeah, it does lower. That's one of the reasons why it's using HIV because it yeah. drastically brings it down by bringing blood sugar up. Um, yeah. You, the only like, you could call it a side effect that I've personally experienced um, outside of like, when you first start, your hands tend to get a little yeah. numb. Uh, your feet will grow. Your hands will grow. Mm. Yep. Um, it's almost comical depending on the dose you use. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still have my wedding ring from a few years ago and it doesn't fit on anything. I was going to say, I'm on my, <laughs> I'm on a rubber one now because it's my Yeah, silicone. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but people sit like, I'll shake people's hand and they're like, people that I've known for years. <laughs> yeah. Funny. Um, great. And, and what, what is in based on the research you've done, based on your book, based on your own experience and working with clients and also what you've learned from your friends on Paul's podcast, mm -hmm. uh, like the right way to maximize hypertrophy with growth hormone. So it gets tricky. I think people obsess too much about the small detail. So I was just going to talk about really fast. Some of the the more obvious myths because this does relate to that yeah so the food timing too people get very concerned about taking mm. it and eating. it doesn't matter yeah that's based on your endogenous production of growth hormone that's a whole different situation you're forcing a situation when you inject it it's a much bigger dose than your body your pituitary gland is going to release so okay. it, you don't need to inject it and then wait three hours that's that's not yeah. a thing it takes Got it Assuming you're using it sub q like most people it's going to take somewhere between two and four hours to be in your system anyway yeah yeah uh, it's and it's food. The insulin response from your food is not going to, you know, cause it to to basically stop working. Um, it really depends. I think the biggest thing that people need to look at is assuming that they can afford it and afford to use it somewhat long term because it's not a short term fix. Generally, is what fits in their life. When you talk mm -hmm. about dosing and timing, if you're someone like me, like I, I now I'm I'm home often. Most of my day is spent either on a computer doing 
work or research or, you know, on podcasts or whatever. So I have, I'm flexible with my time. So I could technically do something four times a day if I chose. If you're a guy and you have a normal nine to five job, that's probably not going to be the case. Yeah. I would figure out what fits in your life that you can do consistently, whether it's the morning or at night. That doesn't really matter so much. Most of the time, if sleep is the primary concern, at night seems to be better. But I also know guys yeah. that sleep better when they take them in the morning. So hmm. uh, there's just no absolutes there. I think for growth, the standard is over five units. Yep. You're basically trying to mimic what you did during what your body did during puberty. Mm. And that 1.7 units that we talk about as a replacement dose, that's for an adult. So yeah. most teenagers secrete the equivalent of four to six units. That's about what you did when you were, you know, 14 years old. So you're trying to recreate that situation in your body. So somewhere right. around five seems to be about the average is going to be the bottom line, basically for any sort of hyperplasia to occur, which is an addition of cells. Mm -hmm. um, and then upwards, really at that point, it becomes what can you afford and what can you tolerate? Yeah. So um, when uh, we've noticed both clinically and personally, and I've noticed myself when you take bigger amounts, like if you were to take a bottle or, you know, I was using a bottle of Sarastim a day, which is 18 units. Yeah. Um, the best way to do that is at night before bed, sub Q, the whole yeah. thing. Mix half, you know, half an ml of water and shoot the whole bottle, go to sleep. It yeah. doesn't matter if you ate or not. Um, you seem to get the most growth, the least impact on your blood sugar, the least fatigue. I noticed when I even did 10, nine or 10, and I split it up, I was tired all the time yeah like you can't keep your eyes open so if you're someone who has to go to work or function during the day yeah. it becomes very difficult to function um, would you still do that during a, a prep scenario would you still try to do the bolus at night or would you try to split it up it depends on the person i think if you're truly like at the dieting phase depends yeah. on where you are it depends on the person the water retention from it there is going to mm. be some level of water retention it would not be something i would increase as prep went on yeah you might start prep big at a bigger dose and then taper it down yeah, I would say most of the pros probably go into a show if they're using growth, probably somewhere between four and six units. Yeah. Perhaps a little less, depending on the water tension. They might even pull it all together, depending yeah. on how wet they are or how yeah. dry they need to look. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, personally, I wouldn't run 18 units into a show. I, sure. I was definitely bigger and fuller, but I was wet looking. So yeah. Yeah. not necessarily the look you're looking for under those lights. Yeah, Makes sense. Uh, yeah I think it, it does definitely play a, a really cool role with fullness though. Like if you're someone who's naturally leaner and you tend to flatten out when you diet, it it does add a different 3D look to you that you really can't get from other yeah. drugs. Yeah, makes sense. Is Great. Well, this has been fantastic, Kurt. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I've learned a ton from you and learned a ton today. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll have links to everything in the show notes, but where, where can folks find you? What are the best ways to get access to you and some of your great work. Thank you. Uh, on Instagram, Kurt.Havens. On YouTube, the same thing, Kurt.Havens. Okay. Um, my website is Atomic Life Coaching. There are yep. links. I'll give you links to everything. And there are links sure. in my Instagram. Instagram is probably the easiest way. Or or yep. you can email me at Kurt at AtomicLifeCoaching.com. Um, but I'm pretty active on Instagram. And I try to answer within reason. I try to get back to every person who DMs me. Um, Fantastic. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Kurt. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the show. You can find The Scott My Show on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Please leave a comment, like, review, or share the podcast 
with your friends or followers. It helps more people find the show.